Joining us right now, though, is Andrew Stetka, who joins us from out in sunny Arizona at 7.20 in the morning out there. Uh, is it already like 98 degrees, uh, Andrew? No, no, not at all. It'll only get up to maybe low to mid-80s today. We're still in that in that beautiful spring weather. We're still a few weeks away from, from the real hot temperatures. So you get like till May 15th is when it might start to be 90 in the morning, 95 in the morning? Uh, maybe Maybe a little earlier than that. Maybe late April, early May. All right. All right. Well, we're in early April right now. And um, how funny has it been being out in Arizona? I know it's only two games, but to see number 10 uh, roaming the outfield for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Yeah, it's been interesting. He, you know, he homered uh, in, in the first game the other day. The D-backs got, got blown out, but he uh, he provided a late homer for them and, and led off the, the, the opener for them and then was batting cleanup yesterday. And, I mean, it's really interesting, you know, when they signed him, he was kind of a depth piece, but some of the injuries, especially the one to uh, Steven Sousa, have kind of stuck him in a everyday right fielder's role now for them. So he's he's the guy there, and he's going to get a lot of ABs uh, in in the outfield in Arizona. What a devastating injury that was! And such yeah, a- it was wild. And I saw when it happened too. They were playing a an exhibition at Chase Field, and and it was weird because the game wasn't televised, but there were all these videos popping up online. And and when I saw it from kind of like a a shaky camera phone video from just a fan in the outfield that popped up on Twitter. It looked a very bizarre, and he kind of tumbled over home plate, and to find out a day later that he completely tore pretty much oh. every ligament in his knee was just devastating. It really is devastating, and, you know, especially for a guy like him who goes from being a sort of a big guy but big and athletic guy who now is going to be somewhat compromised when he comes back. The speed aspect of his game will most likely take a big hit. Yeah, it's a shame, but uh, you know, Terrible every, somebody has to step up, and, and obviously that guy right now is Adam Jones. Speaking Trump, of stepping you know, up, for them. speaking of stepping up, we saw this with first base. So this is totally different because it's a different uh, substance. But we saw it with a wet first base with Bryce Harper a year before last, and right. now we see this at home plate, which clearly. Well, you're you're looking at cleat on like bone, you know, whatever home plate is made out of, but it's a substance that is can be very slick at times. Do you think there needs to be something done about the substance home plate is made of after this? Well, it's so it's so tough because home plate <clears throat> obviously, you know, there, the dirt gets kicked on it and yeah. and it can get a little wet here and there. I mean, I know there's been discussion in the past of of even uh, changing the bases around, either making them flatter to the ground or maybe, you know, doing like we, we used to have in Little League where you have two bases at first base, so there's one to step on and one for the first baseman right, to have. Right. There's been all kinds of discussions. Um, you know, I, I think these are just things that happen over the course of a season to, to some players, and, and they're unfortunate, but I don't know that they're going to make any sweeping changes with any of this. It's just one of those things that uh, that, that tends to happen in, over the course of a season. It's got me thinking, because I remember there was all this outrage about first base and everything. Did did they make any change to first base, Kyle? Do you remember? Or did they just... They were discussing making the base bigger. Um, right. I, I don't, as far as I know, they weren't planning on changing the material. I mean, it's right. been the same as... 
you know, I, there are so few instances of this that maybe it feels like this could just be. That game with Harper, though, remember it had been a lot of rain that yeah, night. Yeah. So I, don't I know think if they were going to make a concerted effort to make sure the base was dry. And maybe that's like if the umpire has to go and wipe off dirt on the yeah. base, then I would think that maybe you could give him a towel and see yeah. if he could. Well, and what you don't think about, too, is if you're going to change the bases around significantly, whether you're going to make them bigger or smaller or whatever else, it really does change. I mean, we, we talk about, you know, a game of inches. It changes the distance between the bases if you're going to make them bigger yeah. or smaller. You know, 90 feet may become uh, 85 and a half, or, well, they could or just, sorry, 89 and a half feet. They or, could just make know, sure that they, wherever yeah, the front of the tucked, bag is, the front of the bag. Yeah, yeah. The front yeah of the bag it changes things around quite a bit for, for, for players who are so used to a routine and so used to, you know, one one type of game. You know, uh, the two episodes last year in the playoffs where Manny Machado, you know, bumped into those players, uh, I've always, and believe me, I have enough things I can say against Manny, but I always defended him on that. I don't think Manny at his heart is a dirty player. I don't think the Dustin Pedroia play two years ago was a dirty play. I thought it was kind of a lazy play. Uh, But those instances where he hit, uh, Jesus Aguilar and who was the other first baseman he hit um, in the playoffs last year? I can't remember. Was it uh, somebody with the? Ooh. It was in the. Was it in the World Series? But but regardless, both of those first basemen. I think it was Pierce. Was it Pierce? Uh, I know the. But I mean, both Aguilar of the first really. basemen are fairly inexperienced first basemen. And one of the things I learned, and I went to Ted Williams baseball camp in 1967, and I was a first baseman, and Eddie Wakus, who was known as one of the great defensive first basemen, he's also mm-hmm. the character in The Natural who gets shot okay. by the, you know, the, uh, the fanatical fan who's in love with him. That's a true story, by the way. Mm-hmm. But Eddie Wakus knew how to play first base, and... I watch how a lot of inexperienced first basemen play. They're not, not they, right. they're not just touching the bag Their correctly. Foot's on top Their of foot's the bag. on top of the bag is yeah. not the way you're supposed to do it. 100%. Yeah, rather than just having an edge of it, you know. Yeah. Well, one of the on, reasons on you the have side. the edge is that way you reach out for the ball right. you and you catch it a split stride. second. You stride like you you stay standing up straight yeah. and then you stride towards the throw and your foot's supposed to the side of your foot is supposed to be against the side of the bag. Correct. And you're not supposed to be on top, but you're supposed to like slide from corner to corner yep. depending on where the throw is. Yep. And Aguilar's foot was on top of it. His foot was heel, was hovering yep. over the base. Now, in fairness to Aguilar, Manny should be more observant of that, but but I, I think it takes it takes out the mean spiritedness of what Machado was doing. I maintained earlier that I thought that was more a and there was not a lot of people talking. I thought that was Aguilar he had, he had put himself in the line of danger when he put on the bag like that. I don't think Machado was trying to clip him. That was, right. Machado may have been awkward. First and, of all, you'd be an idiot to try and absolutely. To, to hurt, I mean, to to hit him. Right. That guy could tear Manny <laughs> apart two sides to, you know. Um, hey, one of the other things I wanted to talk to you about with the Arizona Diamondbacks before we declare them the Orioles West uh, you you clarified this morning that Caleb Joseph is now playing for their AAA, the Diamondbacks AAA franchise in Reno, correct? Yeah, he, he did not make the, the active roster coming out of spring training. He signed a minor league deal, so that was kind of one of those things that I wouldn't say was expected to happen, but, but was definitely in the realm of possibility. 
Um, so he's one of their, you know, kind of catchers in reserve down there in, in AAA. But you pointed out, they, they, you talk about moving to an organization with some depth. They've got Alex Avila, who's on the second year of his contract. You've got Carson Kelly, who you picked up in the Goldschmidt trade, who at one time, two or three years ago, was a very highly thought of prospect. And then you've got the guy that uh, the Minnesota Twins traded to the Yankees for Aaron Hicks. Um, I mean, Hicks went to the Yankees and John uh, Patrick Ryan went to the Minnesota Twins. That's an organization that's got some depth at the catching position. Yeah, and Caleb is on the forty-man roster for the Diamondbacks, so okay. he's kind of the next man up. Um, if if you know if something were to happen, they've got three active catchers on their roster, so it could be a situation uh, down the line here where you've got not only Adam Jones uh, but Christian Walker as well, who's kind of taken yeah. the role of Paul Goldschmidt at he's, first base for them. He's Paul he's Goldschmidt kind of, light. He also yeah, he's kind of Jones. become their you know their their guy there at first base for the most part. Yeah, Paul Goldschmidt, by the way. Christian Walker has two home runs this season, including a three-run homer last night that tied the game. But Paul Goldschmidt has three yeah. all in yeah. one game. Last all last night. night. He's Correct. a hell of a player. He is a great, great player. I think, and we were talking about this the other night on the Mid-Atlantic Sports Report. Actually, last night, Rob Long and I were in agreement saying that uh, we think Paul Goldschmidt may be the most impactful acquisition of any team in the big leagues this year. But – uh, Christian Walker, you mentioned him, and I was getting ready to mention him. Is he figure to play, like, at this point in time, as much as maybe 120 games or so at first base? I think as long as his bat stays, you know, the way it has, kind of, I mean, he showed showed something at the end of last year, kind of under the radar for a D-backs team that was hovering right around 500 and, and didn't have any playoff aspirations. Um, I think as long as his bat still, can, you know, continues to show up in the way that it started to at the end of last year, that he'll get the playing time um, that you know that he earns so, so much as you know so much as the the D backs want to let him play there. I mean, he he did not you know have a great season statistically last year um, by any stretch, but I think they see a little bit in him that you know nobody's going to replace Paul Goldschmidt at first base, but. Um, but he's certainly a guy that they're looking to to at least give them some, some at-bats there. We're talking with Andrew Stetka, who lives in Arizona, Phoenix, right outside of Phoenix, and uh, he writes for the um, Masson Utah website Street Report. and also the Utah Street Report. We're talking to him a little bit about the O's and the D-backs. Uh, the Orioles, does it surprise you that uh, we're in Game 2 and uh, manager Brandon Hyde is already – waving the white flag at uh, his starting rotation, and we're getting Nate Carnes today at 105 as the opener, uh, first for the Orioles. Well, it certainly doesn't surprise me because who are the five pitchers that would be in a rotation right now? I mean, you've got an injury to to Alex Cobb that, that obviously forced Andrew Kastner into the start on opening day, and uh, you know Dylan Bundy's set to go tomorrow, and then you know who else is there? I mean... Uh, there's not many options for for Brandon Hyde in this rotation for for pitching. I mean, he's going to throw Carnes out there today, and we'll kind of see who who follows. I wouldn't really expect um, him to to go with a lefty behind him just because the Yankees lineup is so right hand heavy. But yeah. I mean, there are options for him to piece it together. Um, it's yeah, not I would really think that Ca- surprising. I, I would think Castro or. Uh... Ryder Hess could go again for an inning or two. 
Yeah, Wright should be available. He he pitched a little bit on Thursday, not not very effectively, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, he could go with you know Jimmy Yacobonis, uh in that bullpen. I mean, there's there's definitely options for him to to come out with um, behind Carnes. But I, I'm interested to see how how deep Carnes can go. Maybe he can get two in, two innings out of him. I'm thinking um, two two is the yeah max that, that you know that would be ideal, and then you you kind of piece it together from there. But um, you know, it's not surprising to see them them going this route. I mean, I think a lot of people almost expected Carnes to stretch out over the course of spring training and become a starter, and that obviously wasn't able to happen. Um, you're talking about a veteran arm who has had you know injury problems coming off of um, the elbow injury last year. He missed the entire season, so see, see, they're going to have to take it easy to keep him healthy. See, I think Carnes, it's been interesting. I, I tagged him as somebody that I wanted about six, seven weeks ago before the Orioles signed him, but in my estimation, I look at his career, to me – he is sort of a late-inning, high-leverage guy in waiting. And the strikeouts per innings pitched, and the fact that he hadn't pitched at all since 2017 in, in big league games, regular season games, to me yelled out as, this is a guy who won't pitching one or two innings two or three times a week rather than trying to stretch him out as a starter. Your thoughts well, on that? Well, and that could be his role as an opener. You know, he could be part of the rotation as an opener, pitching two, maybe three innings per quote-unquote start. I mean, mm-hmm. that could be what they do with him. Um, it's it's interesting you brought up him being more of a high-leverage guy. For me, in this season, where there's not any expectation for the Orioles to win games, I don't see any high-leverage situation for the Orioles. So it's, you I, know, not, I to, not to poo-poo your statement, but... It's just they're they're just going to try to piece together whatever they can in order to get innings out of this pitching staff. It's not really a, a any kind of a situation where they're. I think they're testing people. They they got to just get through this season with what they've got. Well, but I think he's and believe me, I haven't gone over the entire twenty-five man major league roster with a microscope to say this. He is one of the guy, one of the only people on this team that I think could pitch well enough to, A, either afford you the luxury of trading Michael Givens if if they have him, if their eyeballs on him would see the same thing I see and have an inexpensive guy taking over, and I agree with you, it's not like this team needs Araldis Chapman or, uh, you know, uh, Greg Holland or a high, high-priced closer, or he could he – could, show himself to be valuable in that role and create value in and of himself in a trade. Sure. Sure. And I think I think every pitcher on this staff is in that position and I I include Dylan Bundy in that role. I mean, it, it, if if Dylan Bundy comes out and uh, you know, pitches his tail off in the first half of the season and creates value for himself, I think the Orioles have to look at the possibility of trading him just like they did with Kevin Gossman last year. They 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 Maybe didn't trade him at his peak value, but traded him and, and got what they could for him. And I think that's that's the case with any pitcher on this roster, um, and truthfully, all, almost every position player on this roster. You see, what scares me is when we get around to the trade deadline, I look around and I don't know that I'm feeling confident enough in Kashner and Bundy to have done that, you know, shown themselves no, to be no, somebody, I, I, you know, that, that the Minnesota Twins won in the middle of a pennant race. That's why I'm looking at, believe it or not, a small nugget like what I think Carnes could show in small doses as being sure. valuable to somebody. 
And there's no great expectation that, that these guys are going to perform well no. enough to get traded no. um, or to, to provide themselves any value. But that's there, a hope. That's there a is hope that hope. The there's Steelers. no question about it. We're talking with Andrew Stetka. Uh, just a couple more minutes. Um, anything else surprise you about the way this roster was constructed? You know, much has been made over the last 10 days about sending Austin Hayes down, sending Chance Cisco down, which I think caught an Oriole fan base by surprise that they weren't at least going to go with the guys that were doing well, uh, you know, and say, hey, let's roll the dice with these young players. No, none of that really surprised me. Um, none of it bothered me. It, it, I'm fine with all of it. The fact that they want to give Chance Cisco some more time in AAA is fine with me. Uh, the same, you know, Austin Hayes is, is dealing with an injury anyway right now, so um, all of this is 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 not surprising. The one thing I'm keeping an eye on, and this is going to become a theme, kind of throughout the first few months of this season, everybody is going to be super focused on the elephant in the room, and that's Chris Davis and what goes on with him. Yeah. And, you know, he played the other day, but then was lifted for a pinch hitter in the ninth with Aroles Chapman on the mound. That's the kind of thing that, I, I, under Buck Showalter, I'm not 100% sure ever would have happened. Um, so there's a little bit of a difference already we're seeing, even in just one game, um, with what's going on with Chris Davis. And then today, the, Oriole, uh, the Orioles get James Paxton on the mound, and Davis is on the bench. So... All of a sudden, you're starting to see the Orioles are, you know, how how Brandon Hyde handles him is going to be really interesting in these first few weeks and months. Um, it's just it's it's one of those things that I'm really curious to see how it totally works out for Chris Davis, whether he is a guy that that doesn't see a lot of um, a lot of action against left-handers, whether he, I mean, he he hit what down at seventh in the order the other day. Yep. Yep. Um, it's just it's it's going to be one of those really interesting things to see if they're going to get Trey Mancini more time at first base because is that the long term uh, future for him? Um, are they going to play uh, you know Renato Nunez more uh, along with Rio Ruiz? It's just it's it's a very interesting dynamic to see, and that's what I'm kind of looking at in the early going here is. Can Chris Davis? I mean, Chris Davis the other day with the the, the, the one at bat where he works the count to three and zero, oh, and then these two pitches he thought were you know outside this outside the zone uh, that they get called strikes, and then goes down swinging. I mean, that was just the most Chris Davis at bat yep. that 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 we've seen over the last few years, and it, it's it's frustrating for Orioles fans to watch, but they're going to have to stick it out and continue to watch it, and it's it's kind of interesting to see what this front office and this coaching staff does with him going forward whether or not this is the the final few months of chris davis on this roster or whether or not this is just the beginning of of you know a long you know kind of drawn out process with him here it's it, it, that's what i'm really yeah. i'm interested to see how they move on from him in the long run you you bring up a very interesting point with that and it was very interesting we talked about it last night on the mid-atlantic sports report where Brandon Hyde was asked why he batted him seventh, and it, isn't it interesting? A year ago, remember what, what position Chris Davis was batting? He was batting leadoff, right? And both right. Buck Showalter and Brandon Hyde basically did the the did what they did for the same reason, which was well, we want Chris to take a little pressure off of him, and uh, I maintain that the only thing that can take pressure off of Chris Davis is himself. You know, the pressure that he's gotten himself in 
the box he's gotten himself in seems to be a room of no escape. Uh, and look, I, far be it from me, uh, I wouldn't want people to talk about my psychological health uh, publicly. But I, I would wonder where in the in the list of things that are working on with Chris Davis is the thought of having him talk to a sports psychologist or whether he has already because to me Chris has gotten himself into this and he's battling a lot of different ways but I don't know that he's addressing his own 8,000 pound elephant in the room which is what's between his left ear and his right ear. Right, and 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 there's no question about any of that. Those are all great points. And the only other thing, other thing that I would point out that's interesting, you mentioned Chris Davis batting leadoff, and if I can, if you can indulge me in some overreaction theater, to you know, not even two games into the season, um, what what was interesting to me seeing the lineup come out today is the other question mark we have on this team is who are going to be the outfielders alongside Cedric Mullins in center field. Well, Cedric Mullins is on the bench today and he's not hitting in the, in the leadoff spot. They've I'm got Drew Jackson. Drew Jackson. Field, yeah. That would be, would have been um, my guess. Yeah. Which, which, which is interesting to me because everyone I think kind of assumed Cedric Mullins is the everyday center fielder. Well, we're two games in and he's on the bench today as well. Jonathan VR is hitting leadoff. Um, and you, interestingly enough, have Joey Rickard in right again and Dwight Smith Jr. in left again, but no Mullins in the lineup. So I thought that was interesting. Um, that is know, very and interesting. Like I said, it's, 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 it's overreaction theater at this point. We're, 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 we've seen two lineups and, and, and one game so far, but I did find that interesting to see that not only was Davis left out of the lineup for today's game, uh, but Mullins was as well, and it'll be interesting to see how much, uh, how, how often that kind of thing happens yeah, as and well. Yeah, keep in mind... Brandon Hyde. Keep in mind, Mullen's a switch hitter, but these splits are dramatically uh, correct. You know, uh, you know, much. I think he had four home runs last year at the major league level. All four were left-handed, uh, right. and uh, hit like 180 from the right-hand side or less, maybe even than that. Which always makes you wonder why is a guy a switch hitter yes, if, he's, if he's not putting up the numbers on I both agree. sides? All right, Andrew Stetka, we really appreciate your taking time so early in your morning. You sound like the coffee worked well. Absolutely. All right. Thank you, buddy.